Welcome to the You Are Infinitely Loved podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Koos. We believe that loving yourself is the key to transforming every aspect of your life. And it's our hope that these conversations bring you one step closer towards embracing this truth. Hello, welcome back to another episode of You Are Infinitely Loved. Today we have a special guest. Well, all of our guests are special. <laughs> But Kurt is especially special. No. Um, today we're with Kurt Kroon, and we are sitting in the middle of Cascade Church, and there are pews all around us, and it's a Thursday morning, and it's quiet. It is. So, Kurt, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. This is <laughs> How great. do you feel about this being on this podcast? I feel great. I'm really excited. Yeah. Also, can I tell you, because we're in a church, I love being surrounded by pews. Because um, it makes me feel like I'm in Star Wars. <laughs> pew! Oh my god! Pew gosh. pew! Wow! Wow! Yes. Hey, right out the gate. <laughs> we started on a high. That joke. <laughs> oh, so Kurt, you know that our podcast is about self love. Yeah. Yeah. And we know you. We've come to know you as a pastor. And a lot of people have some thoughts in the context of church life about self-love. And we are super curious about how you feel about it and what your experience of it has or has not been. And we want to pick your brain. Yeah, let's do it. That's exciting. Hmm. I think self-love in the church, at least, so let's clarify, not the church universal, but the Western evangelical church, which is the only one I can speak to. It's the one I grew up in and, and know the best. I think self-love and church have been opposite ends of the magnet, just repelling each other. Because self-love is dangerous. Um, self-compassion is a, a kind of self-soothing that is cutting out the presence of God. And so by a limit, God is the only one that can love you. God is the one that needs to be there and needs to be telling you how great you are. Any message that you believe within yourself is dangerous, is a lie, because you and your very body are dangerous and a lie. Um, and that's the redemption of Jesus comes in. And so those messages have been incredibly problematic for so many people for so long. And the only reason I still work in a church is I actually don't think that's what the message of Jesus is. I don't think that's what Christianity is. Um, I don't think it's, don't listen to yourself. Um, I think it's, hey, you were made and you were created and it is good. Who you are is good. And throughout life, we've gotten away from that. We've gotten detached from that understanding of our, um, our kind of divine goodness. And when we sit with it, the voice that we hear both within us is a way of hearing God's voice. So by cutting off our own voice and listening to ourselves, we're also cutting off the voice of God in so many ways. Um, yeah, because you believe that that voice isn't to be listened to, but the only way we hear God's voice is through ourselves. So this feels like something that you have known since birth. You haven't had to work to discover. <laughs> Sounds like... A message that um, comes naturally to you, yes? <laughs> no, absolutely not. That's a good leading question. Uh, yeah, no, I I grew up very much in, in the world of repentance. And I mean... For those outside the church world, what does that mean, repentance? Yeah, repentance is, is this aspect that you have to be sorry for your sins. And what was interesting about sin 
and just in a term in and of itself, is it was always described by the pastor. So the pastor of the church was the one that was kind of leading whatever the sinful behavior was. And because of the individualism within the West, it was always very personal. What were your personal sins? So, And that's what we brought you here today to talk about. Yeah. Your yeah. personal sins. Oh, I yeah. I just want to list them out right now. Like every teenage boy, I think in the Western U.S. that grew up in the church, it was just unspoken prayers. Uh, and for those that didn't grow up in the church, unspoken prayers, when you're in a circle and you're like, what prayer request do you have? And someone's like, unspoken. That just means pornography or masturbation. Like that is... <laughs> self-love of a different yeah, form. Yeah, it's a different form of self-love. That every... Did you think that this podcast was about that? Yeah. Oh, oh, we're okay. not... Cool, 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 cool. This isn't what we're doing. <laughs> no, but I think it's that personal sin and it was defined by the church that these sexual sins are egregious and awful and they are worse than other sins and so your whole world is i mean as a hormonal teenage boy is having these sexual urges and desires and being told those are evil those are bad and your interaction with them are evil and bad. So you have to apologize to God. You have to say you're sorry. You have to um, you have to continue to feel bad about yourself uh, so that Jesus can rescue you, so that Jesus can save you, so that Jesus can tell you, no, that's all right, I fixed you. And it's this deep, I mean, it's this odd guilt thing with like Jesus died on the cross for you. So every time you you know, think of your own personal sin, whether it's lying or if it's an eating disorder or if it's eating too much or if it's binging television or whatever the different things were that that particular culture told you was evil, that every time you engaged in these activities, you were picturing a crucified, bleeding Jesus on a cross. And it's like, you're doing this right now. I feel like we've touched into your childhood, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I think it's it's touching into a culture that, so this is a more recent thing, is being able to see the church that I grew up in, incredible people with really good intentions of helping you get free, helping you find love, helping you find community. But their function was bearing a lot of the marks of an abusive relationship. So the church was constantly telling you, don't trust yourself. You are primarily bad, but don't worry. We'll tell you what to do. We'll lead you. We'll tell you how to operate in this world. Which you were were to think about that in the context of a dating relationship. Exactly. That would be red flags, atrocious, problematic. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And do you feel like this is why a lot of people have problems with church as it is today? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I think some people have woken up ultimately... So there's kind of simple narratives, and you are fundamentally broken. Jesus is fundamentally good. Come get fixed here, I think is a narrative that a lot of people grew up with. But as you get older and older and older and you look around you, that narrative starts to crumble more and more. I mean, if you're engaged in the world at all, your world's going to get more complex as you get older, not more simple. Hmm. And I think because of that, because it gets more complex, you say this story actually isn't working. I don't know that this is true, and I'm not just going to continue to trust this voice that's telling me, well, if you just do X, Y, and Z, then everything will be okay, and you'll be okay. And a lot of people walk away from it forever. They're like, I'm done with church. 
And then some people walk away from it for a long time. They're like, but there was something there that I miss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sadly, some people walk away and like an abusive relationship, they're like, but it's complicated. It's scary out here. I need someone to tell me what to think, what to do again. Mm -hmm. Um, And all this church with a different outside stimulus to lead them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And so you can leave church and you'll see a lot of people just swing from one extreme to the other. Right. So it's all about church and Jesus and like fundamental um, Christianity, which is. Yeah, it's deep into this Christian culture of like, I love Jesus. I talk about Jesus. I only sing Christian music. Everything I do, all the people I hang out with are Christian. And then you just swing to a totally different field where now it's alcoholism, partying, you know, whatever is the antithesis that you grew up in. Because you've had to outsource this voice um, that, well, how do I know who I am and where I stand in the world? And it used to be the church telling me, but that isn't working anymore. So now I'm going to go to another external voice that tells me what to do and how to operate. And I think that's part of the work that we're trying to do here is how do we help people rediscover that internal voice um, as a means of hearing God's voice, that these things aren't um, in opposition to one another. Um, but it's, I mean, I'd be interested in your thoughts, Lindsay, from a therapeutic standpoint on how do you help people recover from abusive relationships? How do you help people kind of overcome that exporting of the internal voice? It's hard work. I like how you try to turn this back on me, Kurt. Nice, (laughs) nice work. Nice redirection. No, I feel like what you're saying about, um, swinging from one extreme to the other is something I see all the time. I've experienced that in some ways, maybe not quite to the extreme you're talking about. Um, And I would say you've probably experienced that as well. Maybe, again, not to the polar extremes. But I think there is this place of when you start to trust yourself after being told, you know, everything about you, your desires, your thoughts are sinful and wrong, but don't worry, someone else is going to fix that for you. Um, You lose that muscle and it takes a while to build up a muscle. Mm-hmm. Just like if I go to the gym, I'm not going to go lift 100 pounds on my first day. Um, I'm not going to all of a sudden start listening to a voice I haven't worked out how to hear. Yeah. And it, I think it does take a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness to say, what parts of my thoughts or my feelings am I judging and labeling as negative or bad? Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked about this a little bit too, about um, all the feelings that we have are just feelings and they're not bad or good they're mm-hmm. not positive or negative and for me that's been a, a solid way of entering into self-love of saying um isn't that interesting i feel that way isn't that fascinating i feel angry right now what's that about as opposed to in church world um do not feel anger yeah it's not okay yeah. shut it down what for you coos no that's true like growing up i mean this is not so much about church than it is about culture you're not expected to sh- show a lot of emotion. And so that's a, r- a really hard thing for me. I- even, I feel like it's just been recently that I felt like I could share more emotion. You can cry, Chris, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I can. <laughs> no, and, and then like going to a very, very extremely charismatic college. Yeah. Um, the only emotion you can have is just, I don't know, like, you know, during chapel or whatever, church service. You could service. be sad, but maybe not angry. 
or, or you could happy, be ecstatic. Or, or right. ha- yeah, happy, ecstatic. Or like you cry because you feel Joy. a sense of awe yeah. or something, yeah. right? Mm. But anytime you feel like, oh, I'm angry or sad, you immediately think, oh, Jesus, please help me get rid of this. Right. As opposed mm-hmm. to what skills do I need to, to have to work through this feeling? Or, yeah. Why am I angry? What's the root cause of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that makes sense as well um, to what Kurt was saying before. If that's the experience of, you know, I can't feel my emotion, I'm going to ask Jesus to save me, then swinging in the other direction to something like alcoholism or whatever is still, I can't feel my emotions, so yeah. now I'm going to help have this thing numb me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one is maybe a healthier way, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's still, I think, any... When we shut down half of our emotional experience, it's it, that's talk about an act of like self-abandonment, which is the opposite mm-hmm. to self-love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that is a is a great point, Sam. Is that that's how so many church experiences have functioned? Is just like a, an okay alcoholism, mm. but it's still ultimately avoidant behavior. You're yeah. still not tapping into it, which again baked into the whole story of Christianity is like you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit Mm. you together in your womb, uh, your mother's womb, not your womb. (laughs) That would be weird. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of church is this? (laughs) But that language of no, God knows you and made you. Mm. There's something beautiful about your creation. And when Mm. so much of the function of of the people that are trying to worship this God is avoiding what God has created Mm. in your Mm. emotions and kind of sitting through that and saying, why are these things here? It's incredibly problematic, and it, mm. and it creates all kinds of, of deep traumas. Um, so my co-pastor, Sarah, she does a lot of work and writes the curriculum for the kids. Mm-hmm. And just this last Sunday, I was unlocking doors downstairs, and still up on the whiteboard, it said, Jesus cares about how you feel. Mm. Oh, well, and I, I saw that. that, and I like had to take a picture of it and take a moment because yeah. I didn't know how important that message was to me. No one said Jesus doesn't care about how you feel, uh-huh. but no one ever said those words yeah. and the significance of those words that you, those feelings are okay. Mm-hmm. They're actually there for a reason. And God is speaking to you through those emotions. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to avoid them. You don't have to tap out of it. You don't have to go someplace else. I think that can be transformational for so many people is they're kind of seeking a spiritual path. How do I connect who I am and the reality of my world right now and this God who created it all? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For you as a pastor, there's a lot of stereotypes about pastors. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I describe it to other people, I'm like, he's a pastor. But like, no, no, he's like, cool. <laughs> he's like our <laughs> friend. <laughs> and you've said you've gotten that before. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not outing you. And it's not because um, I have a like a a bad idea of what a pastor looks like. But I do think um, just the fact that you've gotten that many times, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, so it's a label like any other labels, like you would deal with therapist or Coos being in tech. Um, Bro. For you, Sam is being a furriner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My Aussiness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your accent kind of exposes. So it's a label that people use to put on you to kind of reduce you to something else. And Mm -hmm. so there's lots of times where you don't use the label where it becomes a a stumbling block, Mm -hmm. but I will unapologetically use pastor if it's helpful. 
I mean, people want to meet with a pastor mm-hmm. and I'm like, Pastor Kurt is in session. <laughs> um, because it's, they're all just labels and titles. And there's nothing that I do that's kind of pastoral mm-hmm. that's different or special than what other people do. But it is a role that can mean something to people. And so to speak words of norming their experiences, to tell them that you're not crazy for having left this church experience that is deeply problematic and abusive pastorally means something. Mm-hmm. Um, when people are struggling with like, well, what does the Bible say on X, Y, and Z? And I'm running through all this and to be able to say, okay, pastorally, having studied the Bible, these are the things that you can see. To me, that's really powerful and helpful. Mm-hmm. So if that makes sense, when pastor is an unhelpful label, um, I'll kind of shrug it off. Mm-hmm. But when it's useful to people, oh, I will take it all day. Pastor Kurt. I kind of still want to, I don't have a clerical collar. <laughs> Do you know those? Like the white collar yes. little ones in the I black. I love that. Yeah, I would love to have one of those. Or a robe. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can see you rock a robe. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're talking about people coming to you asking for pastoral care mm-hmm. with the questions that they have. How, has there been any instances where you just don't know how to answer them and how how did you go about it? Yeah. Um, Basically, tell us a juicy story. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean you, you, when I think of a pastor, I think that, oh, I have this problem or I am struggling with an issue my pastor would know how to deal with this. Yeah. And I feel like that's a very unfair expectation to have because mm-hmm. yes, he is he or she is a pastor and also a human and mm. they might not know everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's an expectation, oh, a pastor should be able to guide me on all issues. Oh, totally. And so let's divide this up into two. So I started as a youth pastor. I went to college because it had a youth ministry program. Mm -hmm. So I could have a youth ministry minor in my degree. And so early on in youth pastor, when you are 22 years old and in a church being a youth pastor, when people come to you or students come to you looking for some, that is one of the greatest ego strokes ever. Oh, you want something and I have it just because of my title and position. And I know that I have given awful bits of advice and I have perpetuated this thing where I'm saying, well, clearly you don't have it, but come to me. I can be a trusted resource for you to tell you what to do. Mm. And I, I really pray that I did as little harm as possible over those years. But over time, it's when people come to me and they don't know and they're looking to me, to me, that's a symptom of the problem that they've learned to not trust themselves. They've learned to not trust their insights, their experiences, and how God's speaking through them. So if I perpetuate that by saying, oh yeah, here, let me tell you what to think. Well, now you're dependent on me or people like me to navigate the world successfully. How could God possibly want that? But if I help them discover how is God speaking to you in this and how is God working to you with a template of, because it's not like, well, yeah, whatever you think is fine, just go for it. And if they're like, I think I should murder puppies. I'm like, yeah, I think God's (laughs) telling you to. There is definitely a template of, 
what, what behaviors are, are inhibiting the kingdom of God moving forward? And I know the kingdom of God is kind of a loaded term, but just to describe what I mean by that, the peaceful thriving of all people. So that your thriving, your stepping into who you were created to be doesn't come at the expense of another. Those are places where pastorally you're going to help people see mm. and say, so how would that feel for this person? What would it look like on this other side? But ultimately, I kind of love moments when people are like, tell me, pastor, mm. because I get the opportunity to, to say, well, let's talk through it and let's help you find it. My favorite thing ever is when people like really want to meet with me and there's like this urgency and then after a while they stop. <laughs> to me, that's like, okay, maybe we help them kind of hear and see the voice of God that's speaking to them and operating in them and they can learn to trust those voice. That's a transferable skill. Like you can take that anywhere. How did you learn to trust your own voice? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think... I still don't always trust my own voice. And I think there's something healthy to that in that, um, yeah, one of the, the lessons I learned early on is the healthiest people aren't the people that tell you how healthy they are all the time, <laughs> but the healthiest people have a good understanding of, no, I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. what, what I'm saying could be wrong. This could not be true. And so, um, I have, there's a, there's a member of our church that uses this phrase that I love. It's strong opinions held loosely. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to trust the voice that's here now, knowing that when I look back on my life five years ago, I don't just high five myself all day for all the awesome decisions I made. I know that there's a growth and a trajectory. So I'm going to still operate with who I am today and trust that with an awareness that, and I could be wrong. And when I am wrong, I'm going to apologize for that. I'm going to say that that was wrong. That was not okay. Um, that feels like a healthy dose of self-compassion in there. Mm -hmm. Allowing yourself to be human. I'm going to make mistakes. This will happen. And when it does, here's my plan. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to own it. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to apologize if I need to. And one of the hardest pieces of that, because I'm interested for you all how you've experienced this, is a lot of times we'll only receive the advice or the feedback from people we think are doing it the right way. <laughs> so they've come and told me the right way. They've been kind and gentle. You know, like the compliment sandwich. They're mm -hmm. like, oh, I love your hair. I'm bald, so that's not me. <laughs> but they're like, I love your hair. Um, you're actually kind of an abusive um, maniacal pastor. You're hurting <laughs> me a lot, but great shoes. And then like, okay, now I can Has that been an actual thing. comment from <laughs> no, no, no. of concern? I mean, I mean, not report. that I've heard so far. You might need to report it. But there's, there's a way where it's like, okay, well, I can receive this because you've done that, where one of the hardest things is to separate the information from the, the messenger. Mm. So to say there's times where the person, how they've done it and how they've shared it has been hurtful. Mm -hmm. But they're not wrong. Their information is still something to kind of sit with and gain. And so that's something that's been really hard kind of pastorally. Because there's a, a lot of people will love to tell you what they think about what you said in a sermon or just about you pastorally. And um, there's a lot of times that because how they do it can be kind of rude, mm -hmm. there's a tendency just to dismiss it instead to say, how do I separate? That was just rude and hurtful. But there actually might be some truth into this part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to sit with that and I'm going to 
to see how it how it lands and how it sits with me for a while and have grace to say I'm gonna sit with this for a couple of weeks and if it still doesn't fit at the end of it I'm gonna let it go for now but still kind of keep it registered maybe this is just a blind spot of mine mm. I'd like to answer that question not in a pastoral <laughs> the question is how do you trust yourself right I think that it is a muscle that you have to practice all the time trusting mm. yourself and at the same time, there are also people around you that you can talk to about things. Like maybe you trust A is the right thing about an issue. There are also people around your community around you that you can run this by, discuss. We have a lot of biases in us. And this thing that we think we trust to be true might be affected by all the biases that we have and talking it out loud with other people can bring in other perspective that we would have totally mm -hmm. missed. And it could completely be the opposite of what you believe in, but at least that's an extra data point for you to like, okay, that's an interesting point of view. I didn't think about it before. Mm -hmm. Will that change how I think? Maybe, maybe not. But that's another data point that yeah. you can use to help you make a decision. And I think the Christian story can help create a, a foundation that can allow you to do that kind of work to say, ultimately, God sees me and I am loved. I have value and I have worth outside of what I do, how I perform. And so that central message can allow me to sit with critiques and outside voices because none of them threaten to identify me. None of them threaten my core identity as to who I am. And so now I can say, well, yeah, let's hear that. Let's, let's sit with that because this isn't who I am. This is what I've done. This is kind of what I'm doing. And I think what's coming up for me as we're talking about trust and truth is for me the problematic thing with any, well, with a lot of religions is this idea that there is an objective truth. I think the reason it's difficult to know what's true or to trust ourselves is that I believe there's nothing more subjective than truth and that what's true for me can not be true for you. And so it's about looking at, you know, how can I trust that this is true for me? And also my filter would be, is this loving? Like what would love do? Mm -hmm. But I think truth is subjective. So I don't think there is one truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the place where Christianity has made its hay for hundreds of years is we're going to offer you this is the ultimate truth. Mm. This is the way things are. This is the way the universe works, and we've found it. And usually, I mean, that's demonstrated in the, and we're all going to heaven to a paradise with Jesus forever, and mm -hmm. you all, if you don't identify in this way, are going to hell forever. But I think... One of the underlying messages that gets missed a lot is Christianity is still a religion of one God who created all people. Mm -hmm. So if there is a, a central truth that underlies it all as a message of love, mm -hmm. it's not found through small groups of people talking about what they already believe and identify. It's yeah. not going to be found tribally. Mm -hmm. It has to be found through diversity. It has to be found through inviting those different voices and saying, tell me the aspect of truth you know and you've experienced. Mm. And let's weigh it against uh, a metric of love. Mm. 
is this is this increasing the the peaceful thriving of all people in the world or is it fighting against that that's kind of our bar but ultimately truth isn't localized in a powerful few but mm. it's heard through diverse voices and lots of different people speaking into it and bringing their opinion that yeah. at other points in their lives has been eliminated as well you are the minority opinion so go take that somewhere else you don't belong here mm-hmm And I think that's it. It's like that truth is something complex and that if you see us all as being, you know, the expression of one God, then that the diversity of just people and humans Mm -hmm. is like an expression of here are all of the diverse expressions of truth. Like there are all these different factors that we can pull from. And I think the more we can be open to there is just so much complexity, then Mm -hmm. it is, you know, and I think this is one of the great things for me being having been in Portland for a month and and coming to Cascade is seeing, oh, wow, this is a place where there is an open embrace of all different opinions and people. And and so that's been really just beautiful to see given, you know, I was brought up quite like Roman Catholic and very much, you know, Mm -hmm. you're a sinner and you're wrong and (laughs) going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. So I think it's been nice to see or it can be more open, more diverse, more inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. If you think of like sports teams and sports allegiances Mm. and just how silly they are. Like if you talk to someone like, (laughs) I'm a fan of this, (laughs) of the Seattle Seahawks and someone else like, yeah, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. Like, wow, you're not a Seattle Seahawks fan. You grew up in Ohio. You got to be a fan of the Browns and like you're a bandwagoner. And we have all these different metrics. When you put that same kind of silly low stakes reality of sports fandom over the church Mm. because there just can be different forms of tribalism. Now you can say, oh, Mm. you don't have the truth. We have the truth because we grew up in this part of the world at this time and we've cornered the market. And then it's like, no, we are, we are tied into the true tradition and we have gotten back to, we are a open Bible, Bible believing church as if you could use 66 books (laughs) collected over thousands of years yeah. and be like, and there's one central message that we clearly all agree on that this document is saying. Mm-hmm. It, there's such an absurdity to it. And when you see it as, as a kind of tribalism mm. and then you sit with the words of Jesus, Jesus was constantly saying, you're making it too small. Yeah. You're making it tribal. You, you're, you're just using it to say you're in and these other people are out. Mm. And those are the things that got Jesus. I mean, speaking of emotions, <laughs> Jesus brought his anger to the picture Mm. of you have co-opted this thing that's supposed to be for all people and you've made it for some at the exclusion of others. Mm. And when we uncover some of those, I think it can be really beautiful and helpful. I love that you brought up the whole 66 books and that's the blueprint of how we live our lives. And not too long ago, you hosted a wonder um, event and it just reminded me of how there's more to just these 66 books or, or what mm-hmm. we know of Christianity, of God, of Jesus. And oftentimes we feel like we are putting ourselves in this box. Okay, this is how Christianity should be run when there's actually more out there. Yeah. If only you would embrace wonder. What yeah. do you think about that? How do you think wonder plays a role in spirituality. Yeah. So 
I think there's a, a kind of certainty and control. If I can locate my beliefs into 66 books, and this is the, this is the playbook, this is the manual, this is where I'm always going to find the answers, the complexity of Scripture means that that's, it's not true. But we like the controlled aspect of I can always be right and I can be certain I'm right um, if I just follow this. Whereas, so one of our core values here at Cascade is curiosity. That there's more that we don't know about the God, God in the world than what we do know. So we're going to respond to that with questioning and an openness to learn. And another way of saying that is wonder. I'm going to surrender my certainty that I have the answers and I know and you clearly don't. And I'm going to show up to each situation and say, tell me more about that. And if I ultimately believe, going back to what we were talking about, Sam, there's this great quote that I can't assign, but I mean, it's brilliant. And it's someone else. (laughs) It's It's on the internet. Say it's yours. It's on the internet. (laughs) Google it. Uh, All truth is God's truth. Mm. So if I'm passionately curious about finding the truth and and what what I mean by truth isn't a definite set of answers that will, you know, make me right and everyone else wrong. But when I say truth, I mean a deep kind of understanding of that there's a God of love who has created us and made us. And through listening and hearing to these other voices, we're going to discover more about who God is and who we are. You, you, the only way to get there is through wonder, is by the core assertion, I don't know. I don't have certainty. And actually, certainty is not even the point. I was talking to a friend yesterday, like we don't call it like, I have great certainty in God. I'm a person of certainty. Mm -hmm. We say faith. Hmm. Baked into the word faith is wonder that I don't know, that I don't see all of it, that I don't have all the answers. And yet we've used that word um, to mean certainty, Hmm. that I have all the answers that I know what it is and I know what it's not. And I think that's incredibly problematic because because it's not true. Because it's not possible. Because it's not, we don't have that level of certainty. And so the most problematic thing we can do is convince ourselves that we do, that we do have it. And mm. our church is made up with enough people that bought that, believe that, because that's what they were told. And over time, they're like, wait a second. Mm. I don't think the emperor is wearing any clothes. Like, I don't <laughs> think this is true. Um, I'm yeah. curious uh, how you... If you were brought up with this, as we were talking about at the start, you know, um, these feelings or thoughts that you have might be sinful and this idea of repentance. And now you're at a place where you trust yourself more. And as you say, you might not have complete trust in your voice all the time, but you trust that God speaks through you. How did that, was there a moment for you or was it just a natural growth and trajectory and questioning of this narrative doesn't feel true to me anymore? How do you go from... I'm somehow wrong and Jesus is here to save me to actually I have the wisdom within me. Yeah. So one of the kind of key moments in my story was when I started seminary Mm -hmm. and my first class in seminary was on, um, I know this is a little boring for people that don't don't care much about (laughs) evangelical Christian theology, but there's this uh, atonement theory called penal substitution. And so the easiest way to describe it is just imagine a courtroom scene. And so this has been like the dominant understanding of what Jesus did on the cross is that God is the judge and mm-hmm. he's like, there's sin in the world. People have been harming each other. And actually you have contributed to you. And the cost of your sin is death mm. and eternity in hell. 
And God is about to drop that gavel and send you to hell forever. And then Jesus, in a dramatic courtroom moment, <laughs> comes sweeping in and says, no, not them. It's a little Hunger Gamesy. Like, <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. And so Jesus comes in and takes our place and says, no, I will die. I will go to the depths of hell. This is the cross. This is the crucifixion. And through that act, this is how we have found salvation. Mm. To me, this wasn't a theory of atonement. This was the reality of Jesus and the gospel. Mm. And in my first seminary class, and they're like, yeah, it's just a theory. And here are some other theories. It, I started to be like, what? what? But you just <laughs> undid the whole thing. But now once they had undid something that I thought was so foundational to it, I started to allow myself to ask the question, wait a second. God wants to send me to hell forever? Mm. And if Jesus is God, so Jesus and God are like working against each other. Mm. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. So now there's this, this deception within the divine. That isn't something to trust or something mm. to sit with. And anytime I'd had that experience in the past, it's like, well, hey, God's ways are not our ways. Don't, you can't understand mm. it with your human mind. So it was silencing the part of you that was like leaning into wonder. Mm. And again, if God made us, God is inviting us to this wonder. So that started to, it just opened up the floodgates to, well, if yeah. I don't have to hold on to this thing anymore. And, and what I learned that was so helpful is if this is just a theory mm. in, the, in the sweeping river of Christianity, it's not just the little stream that you've been hanging out in. Mm -hmm. If you trace back up the headwaters, it's way bigger. It's way broader than that. And there's actually lots of different ways of understanding this story that are okay. Um, so I, I hope that's that's answering the question. That yeah, was kind definitely. of a moment that started to to break it open to say, oh, I can ask questions yeah, and that's freedom, not, yeah. mm. that's good. Mm. Not that would be allowed. Yeah. Because I feel like, and again, in the church, I was like, your questions were allowed as long as we all end up here. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, we'll open the questioning window for right now. Okay, we're closing <laughs> it. And like, we're all back on certainty, right? It was like an 80s sitcom. We got yeah. 30 minutes. <laughs> you can do something a little wacky at the beginning, but at the end, we're all going to do a group hug and, and wrap it up. There'll be music to make yep. sure we know the lesson is coming in. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, the lesson's here. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did that feel when you were in your 20s, experiencing this kind of for the first time? of, wait a second, is there more? Was that freedom for you? Was it partially scary? Did it feel like a little out of control? Yes. Yeah, all of those. Mm -hmm. Because it, it felt... So there's an, another level to that uncertainty when you work in a church. When you are a youth pastor, it's not like, oh, I might not think these things anymore. It's, can I keep working for a church? Um, but I think I was, I was fortunate to be surrounded by a community of people that were in churches as well, that were asking these questions and to have other people to read and to follow at a distance mm -hmm. that had opened these doors and asked these questions before. And like, they were clearly demonstrating this Jesus thing. Mm. So Richard Rohr, um, Rob Bell, Walter Brueggemann, Stanley Hauerwas, um, Miroslav Volf. I mean, there's lots of, unfortunately, they were all a lot of white males that I just <laughs> named. 
But again, I mean, that was a part of my story and my history that I grew yeah. up in. But these were people that had asked some of these questions and had opened some of these doors in the past and had shared it in writing. And so there was a deep kind of fear and uncertainty. But because I was also doing this journey with other people, I didn't feel so alone and I felt like I gave myself more permission. So it was terrifying, but then it was really exciting. Mm. Because if it's not this, maybe I could maybe I could understand it in ways that it never made sense to me as a as a child and I just had to stuff away and silence those questions. Now I can bring those back to the surface and they don't threaten me or my understanding of Jesus. They're actually the doorway to finding mm. God in Jesus. I feel like what you just said about going from terrified to excited and maybe mm-hmm. both in the same moment yeah. is something that when you come back to the concept of self-love, you know, from a place of distrusting self, shaming self, um, not loving ourselves well, to do the opposite of that feels both like, oh, is this allowed? Am I allowed to mm-hmm. like who I am, love who I am? Um that can feel terrifying. Like what if I start to love myself too much and I become a narcissist? That is <laughs> such a huge thing. Yeah. Um, or even all the time. People yeah. say am I that. being too prideful now? Yeah. Have I, am I lost humility? But it also feels exciting. Like what would yeah. be different if I had like confidence in who I am? What if it would be different if I allowed myself to make mistakes and chalked up to human experience and then yeah. worked through it? It's had self-compassion. Um, I think that's kind of for the three of us. I don't, I mean, I shouldn't speak for all of you, but <laughs> I will <laughs> speak to me. <laughs> but fine. I will. Um, I think that's kind of what really lit our fire of, of saying mm-hmm. there is a way to do life differently. And who's doing that? How do we, what's the rules here? What are the new rules? Who's the new gurus? And to find out, like, oh crap, it's me. I got to figure, I've got to yeah. take all the information I'm learning and synthesize it through. How do I um, build up my intuition? How do I trust myself? How do I, you know? Mm-hmm. So would you say, in terms of self-love, um, where are you now? It's a good question. Um, I mean, I'm still learning and growing every day. And I mean, so one of the things, I think oftentimes the reason why people resist self-love is because they confuse self-love and ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ego is just this monster that needs to be fed with affirmations and you're great and everything you're doing is great. And that's not self-love at all. Um, You can see those things so clearly in people as being Mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. People that are demonstrating self-love just don't have any use for the old tapes and narratives where I have to say like, oh, no, I'm not very good or I didn't do that very well. Mm -hmm. Um, So like Coos was mentioning this wonder event. And one of the people that participated in it was um, this woman, Hillary McBride, who's a researcher and therapist and has done a ton of work in this exact place. And so I was in a car with my friend Scott, who was a part of the event, and he was talking to Nate. Mm. And one of them was like, yeah, I feel like I offered the least amount to the event. <laughs> who said and this? I don't know which one said that, but I know all three yeah. contributed. It was amazing. So amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell a little bit about the event, just to give some context. I will. So this this event was, there's this magician, Nate Staniforth, <laughs> who wrote a book called Here is Real Magic that I know Chris and Sam book. just read. Oh yeah. my yes. goodness. Amazing. So good. Yes. Mind blown. <laughs> the book is so good. And so I had heard him on a podcast, read the book, 
I then reached out to contact him after reading the book because I loved it to say there's a number of stories he shared, a couple where there were people that were Christians that were basically like, you're involved in dark magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're involved in with evil spirits. You need to get out and avoid it. And so I wanted to reach out and to say, actually... <laughs> I'm a Christian pastor. Bring your dark magic here. Yeah, right? <laughs> to my church. Well, exactly. <laughs> and talking about labels, I use it like, hey, I'm a Christian pastor, and I actually don't feel that way at all. I apologize that you've experienced Christians like that. I actually think what you're saying is things that we need in the church. So we ended up, I went to one of his shows. We grabbed a beer afterwards and connected and had a great time mm-hmm. talking about faith and life and wonder. And he was like, hey, if I ever get a chance through, I'd like to set up a tour so I could come to your church. And I was like, would you co-teach with me? And he was like, yeah, that'd be mm-hmm. fun. So that was the seed of like, hey, there's a, there's a different way of talking about Christianity that we could do through this. Mm-hmm. And so then Scott, Um, Erickson is an artist and a friend, and he just does amazing one-man shows, produces incredible art, but has a lot to say about imagination Mm. um, and utilizes it in his professional life and personal life every day. And then uh, over the years, Hillary McBride has become a friend who's an incredible therapist and researcher, and she's amazing. Um, And so this idea was, and she's done a lot of work with embodiment. Mm. So what if we had a night about spirituality that was talking about wonder and embodiment and imagination. And so we use this story that Jesus um, is involved in where they're trying to bring kids to Jesus and the disciples are like, get those kids out of here. Like they're in the Mm -hmm. way. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. If you want to enter in this kingdom, you have to become like a child. Mm -hmm. And when I grew up, that meant blind faith and obedience. Be seen and not heard. That's what Jesus was asking. But once these floodgates opened and it took me back to the story of Christianity and now asking new questions and getting curious about it, it was, if Jesus was going for blind faith and obedience, children are the worst example of that (laughs) imaginable. As a parent. No, my kids are pretty (laughs) obedient, right? That's weird because I have the same kids as you do. And uh, I'm experiencing that differently. (laughs) Other kids. (laughs) And And it's that. No, Jesus was, I think he was inviting us to reclaim gifts we were given as kids, Mm -hmm. to have a fundamental wonder about the world, to utilize our imagination, that ultimately, if we believe that there's a peaceful thriving of all people that God's inviting us to, we don't get there by protecting existing structures. We have to imagine systems and structures that don't currently exist. Mm -hmm. Um, And to be embodied is we have to connect these two parts of ourselves. We only experience God in the world through our bodies. Mm. And to so much, especially within Christianity, has been used to separate the spirit and the flesh. Flesh is bad, spirit's good. So do more spirit. And embodiment says it's all one thing. You're, yeah. you're trying to divide something that can't be divided. So that was the event. And it was funny. So... I think it was like Nate's like, I think I offered the least. And he's a magician. It was amazing. Yeah, oh gosh. And then Scott's Let's like, no, I that. think it was me. I offered the least. <laughs> and I was like, you know what's so funny about this is like we're having a competition over who offered the least. But I know for a fact if Hillary were here, she would not participate. Yeah. She, would, she wouldn't use it in a way of shaming, but she would mm-hmm. say, I think I actually offered a lot. Mm-hmm. And when you experience someone who has gone through the hard work of self-compassion and self-love and sitting with themselves, 
it's never experienced as arrogance. It's always experienced as freedom. Mm. They're not, they're not bound by this tape and narrative that, Oh, I always have to say that I did something poorly. Even if I don't believe that Mm. everyone around you is like, Oh, are we performing that role now? Or you can pretend (laughs) that you don't do things well when we all know you did it well. And you acknowledging that is getting you more in touch with who you truly are. It's not taking you away from it. And I think also people have this misperception that self-love is having to to love every single thing and think that you're good at everything. And so I have people say to me when I'm talking about self-love, but what if I'm I'm not good at this? Like and I say, yeah, self-love doesn't say I'm great at everything. Like that really is ego and arrogance. Mm -hmm. Self-love says, I'm not good at this thing. But how can I be kind to myself or love myself or learn to be better at that thing? Or it really isn't, I'm the best at everything. It's, I have these faults and these talents and I accept it all. And yeah, I'm going to love the parts that are harder to love. That's the whole point, I believe. Yeah. Well, and I think there's such a freedom in because I found these aspects of myself that I I do this well and I've, I've been able to sit with it and not deflect and not avoid now I can also lean into and have an awareness of, oh, I don't do these well, so I'm going to invite in other people around me that do exactly. it well. And now it's not a threat to me. Now it's not a problem. Mm. And again, as a pastor, going back to the Christian story, I'm like, that's the whole thing. Yeah. That they use this language in scripture of one body. Mm. That we are in one body with many different parts. Mm. Not all of us have the same role. We're not all arms. We're not all kidneys. And so what that means is we stop the comparison we start, I think there's self-love deeply baked into that story is you look at what you offer and mm. who God's made you to be and you celebrate that and honor that. And in celebrating that and honoring that, you don't pretend I am the whole body. Yeah, you I do, do that all the functions. Mm. You say, oh no, I do this thing well. Let me discover what you do well. Mm. And then let's work in concert. Yeah, it would have been funny if Scott tried to be the magician and yeah, <laughs> to be the artist. Like that's the next event right <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, I see right. a whole like reality show. The whole reality show. <laughs> to take things on a slightly different track, I'm wondering as a pastor, I imagine that you're with people in in their kind of darkest times yeah. a lot. And I know Lindsay experiences this as a therapist, helping people through their pain and suffering. And I do to some extent to a coach, not as much, I think. And as her husband's <laughs> pain and suffering as well. <laughs> as a therapist or as a pastor. But I imagine as a pastor, you there's a lot of um, heartache and, yeah, and pain and suffering that you have to see and experience and sit with. And I'm wondering what you do in terms of self-care for yourself so that you can be present Mm. and, you know, with your family or how do you kind of deal with that juxtaposition of all of this darkness or pain or suffering that you might be witness to and then you and your own life and having that not impact, you know, your energy or what you have to give in in a negative way, if that makes sense. Totally. So the biggest thing that I've learned over the years is I I have to acknowledge it is impacting me in a negative way Mm. with my own personal um my personality for so long I was like oh that was really hard but that wasn't my stuff so I'm okay Mm. and I just heard something that was really horrific Mm. and painful and Mm. I sat with them in this sacred space where because of my role my title they'll invite me in and because it's so sacred. I just have to honor it and call that good, even though that was really hard. And I feel like I need to take a shower and Mm. 
I'm like, is the world the worst place ever? And are ever, is everybody the worst? Mm-hmm. And so, well, I mean, one of the values we have here at Cascade is if you are a pastor for Sarah and I, our counseling is covered. Uh, the church oh, wow. pays for counseling because we don't think of it as like, well, that's good if you want to do that. No, that's like an occupational necessity. Yeah. Mm. You need to be in therapy because it's been handed to you and you have to, you have to move it out. Mm. So because it's in the center of the biblical world, I just think it's a nice metaphor. You have the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The same water feeds into both of them. The Sea of Galilee is full of life. Mm. There are some species of fish that only exist in the Sea mm. of Galilee. The Dead Sea, no animals, no fish. It's dead. Mm. And the reason for that is there's no outlets to the Dead Sea. Hmm. So it's collecting all that salt. It's collecting all of that. It's evaporating everything else off, and it's a dead place. Mm. The difference between life and death isn't what's coming in. It's is it flowing through. Mm. And I think you, if you're going to sit with trauma and pain and these really difficult or exciting moments, you have to intentionally plan and where is it flowing out of me? Yes. And for a long time, I wasn't. And my pockets were getting really, really full. And now when I, even if I'm not seeing my therapist that week, when I get handed something that's hard or heavy or big, I say, it's okay. I know where I'm going to take this. I know mm-hmm. I have a place to, to, to move this from my person. And, and in a way that's, you know, as a therapist is safe, is invited, is mm. compensated. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I'm hearing therapy is the ultimate act of self-care, Lindsay. <laughs> I mean, I'm biased, but yes. This is a plug for <laughs> Lindsay Bong therapy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I would say just... For I think we can often idolize people who are kind of on the other side in a more healthy space. And sometimes we can say, I'm not there and I can't relate to that. And they must have some extra special powers to get them there. <laughs> so I want to for people to see you as more human. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I be feel more human. <laughs> but be like more. No. Um, no, but this idea of like, can you offer up an old narrative that you used to carry that you've now been able to release because of working through this, using self-love, using tools around you, helping, going to to therapy, you know? Yeah. Um, About myself? Yeah. Yeah. Like, is there an old narrative that you used to carry Hmm. around that really weighed on you? Or even a statement. I think a lot of times I heard this um, recently. Who did I hear it from? Um, I'll have to look plagiarizing it again. We're it's plagiarizing. <laughs> no, but the idea of there's a mantra we say to ourselves over and over again that's usually positive, and there's also monstras, these Ooh. kind of like dark, evil thoughts that we kind of just say over and over again. We don't really notice until we address it. Did yeah. you feel like there was ever a storyline you were telling yourself yeah. that felt dark and oppressive and now on the right. other side of health, you know, in a different place, you can... Totally. Yeah. I think a... a a monstra in my own life was um, you're going to fail because mm-hmm. um, you are a failure. Mm-hmm. And so the way that you protect yourself against that is never put all of yourself into something. Whoa. So I was captain 80%. Mm-hmm. I would show up and I would do whatever was necessary to skate by and get through. Mm. Um, and then I could use it as, well, look at me. 
Yeah. I was a kid that was like, I'm not even trying in high school, <laughs> you know? And I and I wasn't 4.0 at all. But I was like, yeah, 3.4, 3.5. I could get 4.0 if I wanted it. But I'm just not, you know. Mm. High school's just not really my thing. And so it was this survival mechanism that was deeply tied to a fear of insufficiency. Mm-hmm. I'm not enough. I, and if I ever put all of myself into something and I fail, that will be the proof I'm a failure. Yeah. So the way I protect myself is is not ever putting all myself in. And that is not like, oh, and I slayed that demon four years ago. This was the day. <laughs> That's an ongoing battle yeah. where I find myself holding back. I find myself holding things at a distance, not fully being present and showing up to things um, because I believe I'll be exposed. Mm-hmm. And that imposter syndrome is mm. is huge. Mm-hmm. I just saw an image that I feel like is just one of the best images for imposter syndrome. So if you're not familiar, imposter syndrome is that at some point people will realize you're a fraud and a phony. And one of the aspects of imposter syndrome is it gets worse and worse the more you achieve. So the higher you are in a company, the more certain you are that you're going to be exposed. So they found this bird. It was this bright oh my orange gosh. bird. You know this kid? Yes. And everyone's like, what is this rare, like, undiscovered species? And then they started, (laughs) it was this orange gull. And then they took it in and washed it and found out it was just a regular seagull that had gotten into curry. (laughs) Curry, yeah. And was covered in orange for that. And to me, that's like an image for my life. One day people are going to be like, oh, you're not a rare and special orange gull. Just curry on you. You're just a regular old seagull covered in curry. (laughs) You're actually a stupid gull that got covered in curry. And I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's a monstra that's that's ongoing. It's not defeated. It's still there. And I think part of self-love and compassion is just saying, oh, there you are. I see you again. Yep. And how much power am I going to give you today? How much power am I going to give you right now? Mm. I think that is so, so valuable to hear that, you know, it isn't this on, you know, four years ago on this date, um, I conquered this thing. But instead, it's like, what if this piece is going to be carried with us for our whole lives? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. It doesn't have to be something that controls my life, but it's something I'm aware of. And I just say, oh, hello, old friend. Hello, shame. You should be popped up for me. You know, what are you trying to tell me? What do I need to know right now? And, you know, do I need to talk to someone? Do I need to, how do I, how do I process this? Because mm-hmm. I think when we keep it in, it gets dark and scary and it builds and grows. Um, but it really is an ongoing process that doesn't have to be fearful. It can just yeah. be a thing, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of drain the, the scary energy out of it. And to say, I might always have this thing, this monster that pops up. And when it does, I can greet it with, oh, I know you. I know what to do here. Yeah. Well, in the Christian story, that's like a huge thing. In the Christian story I grew up in, I should say, is like, you got to bring your sins to the light. Mm. And they just go away. Once they, yeah, right? <laughs> the, the, like sunlight evaporates it and it's gone. But what that really meant was come share your symptoms into the light. Right. And now this place will have greater control over you because we know your shameful secrets. Mm-hmm. And unless you do an unspoken prayer. Unless you say unspoken. That's <laughs> right. right. And then everyone's like, well, we know. Uh, it's probably porn. <laughs> 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 I know. I it's definitely sexual. When you're with a group of teenagers, yeah. it's always going to be something sexual. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to yeah, assume yeah. that that's what's going on. Because you're like, uh, I don't know. I took my mom's car without asking. I was like, oh. <laughs> bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) But I think what we were doing in that is you were sharing your symptoms, Mm -hmm. 
but you weren't getting to the root of what caused that, yeah. right? So yeah. we we're like, here, here is my coping mechanism. Yeah. And if mm. I just bring my coping mechanism before Jesus, then I'll be healed. Yeah. But the reality is, even if Jesus would come in and miraculously take away that particular coping mechanism, mm. you just find a new one. Absolutely. And most health is kind of boiled down to, hey, let's just find better coping mechanisms. Yes. So let's just get you into workaholism because that that's a good one. At least you make money from that. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Or like, hey, get a get a fitness hobby that like you obsess over. Yeah. But I think truly what what God and Christ is inviting us to is let's get to the the core of those fears, the thing that's driving Mm -hmm. all those behaviors. And when we sit with those monsters, when we sit with Mm. those things that are moving in, they do in the light shrivel up and die. Mm -hmm. Whereas sharing our symptoms, they actually don't shrivel up and die. They're just kind of now in the light. And it can even be an important first step, but it's just not the whole process. Mm. And for much of my my youth, that was was the whole thing. Mm -hmm. If everyone just says their sins, then we'll be free. But then I just sat in rooms and groups where it was just sin comparing. And now everyone knows yeah. what you've done. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I think there's like a million different ways my therapist brain is like, ooh, got a little bite here. Let's go. But I feel like um, that sense of I am a failure mm-hmm. is really heavy. And I feel like a lot of people, most people carry that. Today, if that thought comes up, how do you respond? I think um, it is more, so it depends on where I'm at. Mm -hmm. So to be perfectly honest, like right now sitting in this room, I could feel that and be like, oh gosh, I'm not answering these questions. (laughs) And it can be, it's a, it's almost a playful interaction. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, there you are. Right. Oh, I see that shame. Yep. Oh, you're here to tell me that I'm Mm -hmm. a failure. And, and now it's like, so why are you here now? Mm -hmm. What's going on that this is the message that, that you're trying to bring to me now? Mm-hmm. And then it can kind of tap me into it. There's, there's probably something else going on that's informing it. Yeah. But what's also true is when I have no margin and I'm really busy and I've been doing lots of things, I am less able to, to see why it's there and have a playful interaction with it. Yeah. And it can be crushing yeah. mm-hmm. and it can be defeating and it can feel like, cause I'm already tired. I'm already running. Yeah. And usually if I'm tired and running and busy, I just feel like a failure in every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not pr- a present enough husband. I'm not a present enough father. I'm not a present enough pastor. No one is getting what they need from me in this world. And then when that's when I feel fear, now it feels like confirmation. Yeah. Yep. That is what it is. Everyone's upset with me. They're disapproving. They're disappointed Mm -hmm. what I can offer them. And so in those places, I don't have a like, and then I say this mantra and it all goes away. (laughs) It's like what I was looking for. I was like, let's just give our listeners like a one-liner. I mean, if there's anything we believe in, it's quick fixes. Yes. (laughs) That's that's what I'm wanting. But then it gets dark. Mm -hmm. And when the darkness hits, I have some trusted friends that I know I can bring the darkness to. Mm -hmm. And not to dump it on them, but to commiserate with them because they know it too. Right. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, yeah, the darkness of me. And therapy is a huge part of that. It's, a, it's, it's one where I feel like I don't have to make any apologies there. Yeah. Like, hey, I don't want to dump this on you or all that. And to be honest, I have enough, enough. I have relationships where I don't, there's no, no one's apologizing anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because now we're just like naming the thing. There's actually an appreciation. Thanks for the honesty. Yep. Thanks because what you're doing by you sharing that with me is you're normalizing my experiences yep. that I may not be having right now, but I have at other times. I yep. think that's so important to hear because the more and more I speak to people about what they struggle with, one of the things that they find the most difficult is asking for help or support because they really do feel like, I don't want to burden them. I don't want to dump mm-hmm. this on them. And I think, oh my goodness, like the, by you sharing that, you're allowing that person to then share with yeah. you if they ever need to. And I think we just need to know when we're, we're not dumping on people. We're just, mm-hmm. you know, being honest, being <laughs> open. And the first time you feel I don't want to dump on people is probably your best opportunity to not dump on people. But that yeah. fear of, oh, I'm going to dump on people, I'm going to dump on people, keeps you holding on to it, holding on to it until the only option mm-hmm. is a huge a massive dump. dump. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a massive, like, emotional right. wave that falls on people. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, yeah, now it is. Yeah. But if you, when you first felt it, if you had just said, hey, I'm just going to send a text, I'm going to make a call. And it doesn't have to be a four-hour counseling session. Yeah. I can just say, hey, things are really dark. And the more you exercise that muscle, going back to something you had talked about, Lindsay, the easier it is. Yeah. So now, I mean, uh, he wouldn't mind, but talking about Scott Erickson, artist, now we just text. Mm. Yeah. And it's like, hey, it's a really dark day today. And now, because I've received it and we've exercised that muscle a lot, I don't feel like, oh, shoot, I have to drop everything I'm doing right now. Scott mm. needs me, and I have to go to his house, and I have to make him feel better. Mm. It's... Know that feeling. What's yeah. it like to not be a two? <laughs> yeah. But I no. think even yeah. even in not being a two, there's a weight you feel pastorally right. with any person where you want to, how do I really tell them I get it? And and the more you do it, the the less it's necessary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The action was them sharing it. Yeah. So now you, now you just need to receive it. And yep. because, the, again, that's putting the power back in trusting that Scott has everything he needs or whoever yep. it is, you know, mm-hmm. and not saying I'm the pastor that's going to come in with the healing, fixing ability yeah. and save you. It's yeah. like I can hear you and recognize and acknowledge and validate your experience and I trust that you can look after yourself in this moment. Mm-hmm. There are two things here that I want to say. One is... Th- what you shared reminded me of um, a newsletter that Jonathan Fields sent out, and the title was Witness, Don't Fix. Yeah. And it's a whole story about how most of the time we feel like we get our value from fixing problems, but there will be times when witnessing it yeah. is much more powerful than trying to fix it. Just sitting in the darkness with them as opposed to trying to shine a light for them, mm-hmm. right? And the second thing I want to say is that as a man, mm-hmm. it's historically very hard for us to share vulnerable things with other men. Yeah. And so that's definitely like a, 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 a huge exercise that you have to keep doing over and over and over and over again. Because by default, we're going to say, oh, I feel terrible about this thing. I can fix it myself. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's where I I do want to give honor to my past because I don't feel like in this conversation that I've said like a lot of good things, even though I feel like we were talking a lot of uh, symptomatic parts of bringing those to the light. But in my tradition growing up, vulnerability and sharing what's going on in you was modeled and was a value. Mm. It was a value to be in a, a men's group and share these things. 
Um, and I think there's lots of problematic parts of that too, but it did model for me that. And I was fortunate that I grew up in a home where my, my mom very much like, um, let me know that I was loved. I was Mm. accepted and that self-love was okay there to self-compassion was okay there. It was actually valued and it wasn't seen as ego. There wasn't like ego shaming and, and kind of, um, and there could be at times a kind of false humility, but I think that there's lots of really great things I was handed um, when I was young that has been incredibly helpful as I've gotten older. Kurt, it is such a joy to be with you. I feel like you bring like a joyful humanity to the people you're around. You give permission for people to be where they are and to be fully accepted, which, I mean, gift of all gifts. So as we sat here today, I hope you um, know how much we appreciate you and your sharing. Oh, thank you. That feels amazing. Thank you for listening to this episode. Our hope is that each day you feel more connected to the knowledge that you are infinitely loved. If you want to continue this conversation, you can find us at youareinfinitelyloved.com.